All right, good morning, everyone. Are we awake? Yeah? Like, in theory, we're supposed to sleep until the, like, correct time, right? So, like, if you normally get up at 6, you think, like, oh, I'll sleep until 7 this morning. Does anybody else's body just not do that? Like, I woke up at 5 either way this morning. I don't know why. Anybody? So, it's brutal. So, everybody got a little extra coffee, waking up. Okay, all right, okay, now I know, now I know where we are, all right, that's good. All right, so hey, we're going to be in Psalm 130 today, uh, continuing on in our series, uh, Coming Home, going through the Psalms of Ascent, um, and as we turn there, just uh, want to say thanks for being here, um, braving the cold weather, making it out this morning. I mean, it was like stupid cold this morning, like take your breath away when you walk outside, and that's just no fun. Um, but anyways, hey, thanks for being here. Um, as we get going, I, w- I want to just kind of get us started with some questions and get us thinking a little bit. Um, what does it mean to be comfortable? What does it mean to be comfortable? Um, comfort is a little bit of a subject- subjective word, like comfort for us in our house. For my wife, it means anything above 72 degrees is comfortable. And for me, it means anything below like 68 degrees is comfortable. Yeah, so like a little subjective, uh, comfortable is like um, sitting on the couch, like I have on like shorts and a t-shirt, and my wife has on like sweatpants and a blanket and a heated blanket and our dog, and like that's comfortable, right? Uh, like some people like wearing wool sweaters, I don't, I don't think they're comfortable, some people think they're comfortable, yeah, we all have different levels of comfort, like, what, like we all have kind of a, like maybe if you're looking at your bank account, like a dollar amount of like this is a comfort level for me for like an emergency fund or whatever, that, that varies. Comfort is a little subjective. So let me ask you this. Now, instead of what does it mean to be comfortable, what does it take to be comfortable? Those are two different things. Uh, in in uh, 2019, there was a study done, and they found out uh, from the study that the average American household spends about $18,000 a year for non-essentials for living. Okay, so non-essentials, meaning like at this point, like that includes like we consider essential living like cell phones, internet, some things like that. But, but anything over that, the average American household spends about $18,000 a year. So to put that in perspective, that's a little over 50% of the average or the median household income in America. That means, uh, you know, so think about that. That's a lot of money. It takes that to be comfortable. We value comfort, don't we? Like I value comfort. A lot. We have a very, like, I drive a 2011 Honda Odyssey EXL, okay, meaning I opted for the leather because I, I like the idea of driving around a lazy boy, all right? That's like, I, I like comfort, okay? I saw a little fist bump for the minivan. It's the King's Chariot, dude. Like, I'm all about the minivan. I'm all in, all in. Um, so I like being, we like being comfortable. Uh, and the reason I bring that up today is because the psalm that we're looking at today, it actually brings up a little bit of discomfort. Uh, because what we're looking at today, Psalm 130, it's a psalm of confession. Now just the word confession uh, has some loaded meanings depending on like how you grew up, your religious background and stuff. Confession for some of us just means like you do something wrong and you confess what you did wrong. Uh, for some of us, confession means like actually going to the church building and trying to think of everything wrong that you've done, and you, you tell the priest or the pastor or something like that. Uh, or a confession, you know, uh, for some of us, maybe means like a document, 
like a bunch of beliefs on it, like it's a confession of, of what you believe, your, your, your doctrine, things like that, your theology. Uh, but no matter what comes to mind, the word confession makes us a little uncomfortable. Um, it's because confession forces us to admit that we have limits. Uh, limits are, is wired in our brain to, to be something that we don't like. We push back against the idea of having limits, right? Like we're kind of fascinated with the idea of limits. Um, like we love the idea of like there's a guy who was like kind of a normal, average, maybe even a little nerdy, not cool or anything. He gets bit by a radioactive spider and then all of a sudden he can pretty much do whatever he wants with a mask on, Right? It's the idea of some, like, like the stories that we love about superheroes. It's, it's humans breaking through the normal limits of humanity and being able to do outrageous stuff. Or, like, maybe you're, like, fascinated with the myth of the frontier. I call it the myth of the frontier because, if you're like, I, like, I love Western movies. And, like, there's the idea of, like, going and settling the totally unsettled and, like, harsh world. But in reality, like, like there are already people living there, Right? Like now we talk about like the myth like all throughout American history, there's this idea of the frontier. It's like we create this new thing or find this new thing that helps us break through limits that we have, right? Like for a long time, the car was this new thing that helped us break limits. We could get on the interstate. We could drive across places that we maybe never would be able to visit before, you know? And now we have a new myth. We have a new frontier, space, right? Like I've got a buddy who like, like loves the idea that in like 30 years we're going to be able to live on Mars and I'm like I am out on that you know like I'm I'm like no thank you I'm not there right but like like this dude Elon Musk right war breaks out in Ukraine it's going on and he says hey I'm going to be able because of the limitless possibilities of science that my company has founded we're going to be able to give internet to people anywhere Right? You hear about that, the Starlink stuff? The problem with that is uh, it doesn't work. You know? The problem with the idea of not having limits is that that does not exist. A life with no limits does not exist. All humans, if you are a human sitting in here today or listening online, you have limits. I have limits. God gave humans limits. You know? Like Adam and Eve. Put in the Garden of Eden, they had limits. Hey, you can eat of anything you want, to, you want to eat, but just not this tree. All right, hey, you're created, you have the Garden of Eden, but like, here's kind of like where, what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live, right? Cultivate the earth, subdue it, rule over it, do these things, right? Moses had limits. He couldn't speak very well. God had to send Aaron with him to, to talk to Pharaoh. Uh, he had a limit. He also was like not a very good leader, <laughs> you know? His, his father-in-law had to tell him to, to raise up elders to help him lead because he couldn't do it by himself. You know, he, he had other limits. He forced racism whenever he, uh, the Egyptian slave drivers talked down to him because he was a Hebrew because of his ethnicity and race. David, King David, who's supposed to be like the greatest king Israel had ever seen, but he could only win military battles if God fought him for him. You know, anytime he tried to do it on his own, he couldn't do it. He had one big limit that ended up almost wrecking his life and killed another dude. Yeah? His temptation, the thing that he was prone to. Peter, in the Bible, he had a lot of limits. Yeah? Maybe a limit of a temper, limit of being rash. Um, He wanted to go with Jesus and meet the same fate that Jesus did, 
only to be reminded of his fear whenever he was asked by a girl around the campfire if he followed Jesus. See, we all have limits, and limits pop up in separate ways. We want to fight against those limits, but they're actually gifts. The limits that God gives us are actually gifts for us. But it's hard to see it that way. Like students, how many times do you catch yourself doing homework or you're in school thinking of everything else you would rather be doing than in school or doing schoolwork? Yeah? But that's a limit. Your limit is that at this time in your life, you got to go to school. you got to learn stuff, right? What about for us adults? We're at work and we're in a meeting or you get that email, that memo, that update, whatever, and you think, man, if I was in charge, here's how I would do it differently. If I were calling the shots, here's, here's what I would do. But you have a limit. You're not in charge. <laughs> you know, There's someone over you. We all have limits that we're made to work in. David, uh, the psalmist summed, summed it up really well in Psalm 16 when he said, man, the, the lines have fallen in a pleasant place for me. The boundaries that God has given him to live, he said, that's a good spot for me to live in. He's figured, he'd figured out what it means to recognize our gifts our, our limits of being humans as a gift. Okay, Psalm 130, what we're looking at today, this psalm of confession, it allows us and it helps us to recognize our God-given limits. And then it also gives us some practical tools that we're going to see for embracing those limits. When we acknowledge our limits, we can journey better towards our true home, which is what the Psalms of Ascent are all about, of being in and with Jesus. It's funny how quickly limits uh, pop up in our humanity. Uh, my three-year-old, soon to be four-year-old, next uh, Monday, uh, the other day we were talking, and she said, Daddy, I can do whatever I want. I said, I wish you could. You know, I wish I could. You can't. And she said, and she was like, I really can. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? And she said, she said, yes, Daddy, if I want to eat three gumballs, I can eat three gumballs. I said, really? How are you going to get the gumballs? They're on top of the refrigerator. And she had to think for a minute. And then she said, I'm not going to get the gumballs, am I? I said, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not, not going to get the gumballs. See, we all have limits, and that's okay. So let's look, at, let's look at Psalm 130. Let's look at Psalm 130, and then we're going to jump through and look at those limits and then look at those practices that we have, okay? Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who would stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I bring hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and in him there is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Notice how in verse 1 it, talks, it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. So we're not sure what's going on, we're not sure who the author of this psalmist is, but uh, the Hebrew language is a, is a really, that's what the psalms were written in, uh, it's a really like, image-heavy uh, language. It, it's, it's very, it's, it's, it's really hard. It's really weird. Uh, but, but it's interesting because uh, all throughout the Bible, uh, anytime there, there's directional language, okay, so like down or up or depths or heights or something, it typically uh, is trying to portray 
where someone is in their, you know, whatever you want to say, their spiritual journey, their walk with God, their, their, their closeness to, his, to God's will or whatever. So out of the depths denotes that this person is, is at, feels as if they're out of the will of God. Okay, a great case study of this, if you want to have a little Bible nerd time later, is go look at the, the story of Jonah, especially the first like chapter or so. Like it, almost every time it uses down or up, it talks about Jonah's closeness and obedience to the will of God. Okay, so like he goes down from Jerusalem, you know, then he goes down into the depths of the, the boat, and then they throw him over, and he goes down, 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 and then whenever he starts obeying, he goes up, 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 and he keeps obeying God. So just all throughout the Old Testament, there's just, a, like I said, a fun little Bible nerd tip for you. But out of the depths, what we see right here, what, what this is, is that this psalmist was in a tough situation. We don't exactly know why. Uh, we don't know if it was the cause of a sin. We don't know if it was the outcome of a bad decision. We don't know if it was totally out of their control, an outside force putting them in a bad spot. But they were in a circumstance or a situation that they could not overcome on their own. And so the first limit that we see here is that it's a limit of seasons. Now, life works in seasons. Life functions in seasons. Ecclesiastes says it well. We all know it, right? There's a time for joy, there's a time for mourning, there's a time for dancing, there's a, time, there's a time for everything, there's a time for sowing and a time for reaping, and our life works in the same way. Like we're all, I'm just looking around the room, we're all in different seasons of life, right? My season of life right now is if I get 30 minutes a day, like alone in a room by myself, it's a miracle, yeah? Like we got two little kids at home and it's great, you know? Um, we all have different seasons, some of you are in a season of life where you would love to have little boogers running around your house making a bunch of racket. We're all in, it's life works in seasons and that's a limit that if we learn how to obey God in that season, we function well. Here, just a good example, personal example. Um, a few years ago, um, Ann and I were in a, were in a really um, just demanding season of life. Uh, my job was really demanding, putting in like 50 plus hours. We were about to move to a new location, which meant a bunch of work and a, and a bunch of new uh, hours added on to my normal stuff. Uh, I was in seminary full-time. Anna's a full-time nurse, so that's 12-hour uh, work days, you know, nonstop. And um, we had a, a little kid. Uh, Cora was just like a year and a half old at that point. Um, and then uh, we decided to buy a house in the middle of that, our first time buying a home. And so we had to figure all that out. And then on top of that, um, I refused to look at my life and my limit of my season of life, and I decided to sign up for like a few marathons to run that year. Because why not? I'd never done it before. Why would I not do that? Okay, uh, so uh, what happened was, uh, before you think like, oh, Matt, like, like great job. Terrible job. Every, everything, I was like, I was like bad at a lot of stuff and be, instead of being good at anything. I ended up like couldn't train properly, and so I ended up developing tendonitis in my ankle that I like I'm still trying to get over. So I could run, uh, my grades were slipping, I like never saw my family, uh, I was supposed to like be a pastor and like leading out of this like deep well of, of time with Jesus and life of Jesus, but instead it was like I dreaded going to the office and I was like a big old ball of nerves every Sunday uh, because I was, I was trying to do everything in my own competence and power and I wouldn't do it uh, and I wouldn't, I just didn't have the margin, you know, I, literally there were times where I chose like do I like spend time with my family and like fail this test or do I sleep? And you know, like I was constantly weighing out all these things that, I, that were supposed to be good for me, you know? 
Um, and then, towards the end of that year, I looked at Mark, Mark chapter 1. And it was like this huge, like, Jesus just gut punched me. Everybody, anybody ever have that happen to him? Like, I was reading Mark 1, and there's this, like, Jesus comes on the scene. Um, he gets baptized. He goes into the wilderness. He comes out of the wilderness. He says, the kingdom of God's at hand. Then he starts proving it by, like, healing all these people, casting out demons, heals Peter's mother-in-law, all this stuff. And, I'm, and like, that's all, like, that's exactly what he was supposed to be doing. That's all good stuff, right? But then it says very early in the morning, he went and he got alone with God and he prayed by himself. And then afterwards, he comes back to Peter's, mother, Peter's house and the disciples say, Jesus, like, there's stuff to do. Like, thank God you're back. All these people are here. It said the whole town had come out to Jesus to be healed by him. And Jesus said, no. And I was like, like, I remember seeing no, and I was like, what? Like, why would Jesus say no? That's what he's supposed to do, right? He was supposed to heal people. He was supposed to cast out demons. He was supposed to, but he said, no, no, no. Uh, I got to go on to the next town and preach the gospel of the kingdom because that's why I've been sent. That's why I'm here. And I realized it was out of that time with God that Jesus recognized this, that season of his life and ministry it's not that he wasn't supposed to do those things. It was just not the time. Like healing people was a great thing, right? Interpretation by voting, good thing or bad thing? Healing people, good thing. Okay, casting out demons, good thing, right? Healing Peter's mother-in-law, <laughs> right? Good, I mean, all this is good stuff. But Jesus said no because he recognized in this time in his obedience to God, this season was a limit for him and he needed to move on and do what he was called to do. And I was like, whoa, like, what a gift. Like, the gift of saying no is massive. It takes me, I'm not good at saying no, especially if something's, like, fun. Right? Any other Enneagram 7s? Come on. Right, Trish? Yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, like, I would just rather have a good time than almost do anything. It's hard to say no, but the gift, a gift that God gives us in our limit of seasons and a gift of our humanity, a huge gift, is the gift of saying no. We have to get better at it. We were not made, I was not made, to be all things to all people all the time. I can't do it. No matter what my iPhone makes me think I can do. I just can't, I can't connect with everybody all the time. I, I'm not limitless. Only God is limitless. And, and, and life works in seasons, and it's a gift it's a gift to us. So now let's look at verses two through four, see if we can see some more limits. Oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who would stand? Who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Okay, so the, the, we're looking at confession. Uh, the verses, they're asking for mercy, okay? They're asking, with you, God, there is forgiveness. The psalmist is forcing us to recognize another limit. And this is going to sound like a no-brainer at first, but, but, but let's, let's think and talk through it. Uh, we cannot save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. And there's two implications with this statement, okay? The first one is that we are accountable to a higher power. We cannot save ourselves. And the second one is that we can't save other people. Uh, the idea that we're like limited or accountable to a higher power just like makes me want to cringe, <laughs> you know, like, like especially like in the world we live in right now, like 
the, 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 the biggest authority we have is self right now, is the way you feel, what makes you happy, follow your heart, be true to yourself, whatever it is. We have this idea that if we are not able to express ourselves, express the way that we feel, that we're like selling ourselves short from being who we're made to be. But the reality is that we, um, like we have limits, we're accountable to someone who made us to function and flourish in the right way. And we see this play out like in a really practical way. Like, like used to, the way, like I grew up, uh, you know, like if, if we were going to share the gospel with somebody or tell somebody the good news of Jesus, um, we would, like I was taught to like start out the conversation with a question similar to like, if you were to meet God tonight and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Anybody else learn something similar to that if you grew up in church, right? The Romans road, that kind of thing. Uh, used to, our, our culture held kind of at large for the most part, this is, a, this is a generalization, held the assumption that like, yeah, there is a God and there's a higher power and there's an afterlife and so I better watch out. I better like figure it out before I die. You know, that was like where like the judgment house stuff came from. Remember that stuff? Anybody ever go to a judgment house? Dude, that stuff was crazy. It was like a mobile, anyways, it was so weird. Look it up. Uh, super weird. Like, that's like deep Bible belt south stuff that like just wild. But anyways, um, I digress. So we used to, but now, like if, now if like we went out to, to share the gospel with somebody and um, we were to like start with that question, the response now we'd probably get is like, I don't believe in God. So like, what does it matter? Or like, I don't believe in an afterlife. So, so what is, like, what does it matter? And that's not like, like, this is not me saying like, like, like shame on the culture. I, I actually think there's a really good opportunity for evangelism that doesn't start with us, but starts with Jesus, that the original question doesn't start with, but. That's a different sermon. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, pastor, missiologist, theologian, he said um, that the worst sin in our culture right now is the idea, or or he says the only thing our culture thinks that we need saving from is the idea that we need saving. Because the idea that we're accountable to a higher power just like doesn't doesn't land well. It doesn't sound right to us because we think we're the higher power. But the bottom line is that we need forgiveness. All of us, we need forgiveness. See, God created humans to rule the world on his behalf the way he would have us rule it. Right with him and right with other people. Love, out of love to him and love to other people. The problem is that we just made like a horrible mess out of it. And at some point, God, and there's going to be a reckoning for the mess that we've made of God's good world. Right? I mean, that's how the Old Testament played it out over and over. You had the flood, right? You had, like, like it would, God would speed up the process of the reckoning of making a mess of the world that he saw and said, man, this is good. And then he looked and he said, man, now everybody's just doing whatever they think's good and not what I think's good. So he sped it up. Like, we understand a little bit the idea of a reckoning. Like, it's tax season right now. Yeah? Like, what happens if you don't pay your taxes? There's a reckoning. Yeah? Like, students, what happens if you don't study for a quiz or a test, and then you take the test? There's a reckoning. All right? Like, there, there ha- somebody has to answer for the problem. Yeah? But I heard, like, there are some school districts now that are doing, like, if you fail a test, you can just, like, retake it as many times as you want until you pass, which just sounds like a headache for the teachers. Like, I can't, like, first of all, that, would, that stresses me out. The endless possibilities, I'm like, like, 
I would never, I'd never study. <laughs> like, that's like worse than, anyways. Um, um, like, there, we, God, thankfully, thankfully, we need forgiveness. Thankfully, we see in the psalm, with God, there is forgiveness. Right? God, God made a way for us to be saved. Because we're limit, limited, we can't be everything all the times to all people as badly as we want to. Um, God, who is limitless, who can be all things to all people all the time, everywhere. Uh, God came to be a human and to rule, show us how to rule the world perfectly on his behalf and to make it beautiful again. Because we're limited, we have to rely on God for hope, for forgiveness, yeah? It says, God, if you, if you should like hold everyone's sin against them all the time, who could stand, like who could ever bear the weight of that burden? Like, if you just kept, every time we sinned, it, it fell on your shoulders. Like, who could stand? That's what the psalmist is saying. Like, and, and the answer is nobody. Because God with you, there's forgiveness. See, Jesus, the one who came from heaven to earth as a human, Philippians 2, Paul said that um, he humbled himself. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant, even to death on a cross. See, when Jesus came, he paid the penalty for our sins. That reckoning happened for our sins, for the mess that we made of God's good world, that reckoning happened to Jesus on the cross. He was buried, and then he rose from the grave, conquering the ultimate limit that humans face, death. And with him, there is forgiveness. See, while we are limited, Jesus came so that we could understand just a glimpse of the limitless life, but it's only in him and with him. So as we journey with Jesus, we recognize the limit of our humanity, that we can't save ourselves, that we can't save other people, that we live our life in seasons right now, right now, for like the whole time on earth, it's, it's limited by sin and death. Jesus came, broke that limit so that for with him in the future, we can understand what it's like to have a limitless life. As we journey with Jesus, the problem is right now, right now, uh, the, the, determining these limits, recognizing them, embracing them, learning how to live in them, it takes discernment. And here's the, the best uh, definition I, I've heard of discernment. It's by uh, Ruth Haley Barton, one of my favorite authors and, and theologians. She said, at the heart of spiritual journeying is discernment. Here's a great definition. Discernment is the capacity to recognize and respond to the presence and activity of God both personally and in community. The capacity to recognize and respond to the presence and activity of God both personally and in community. So to discern our limits, we need some helpful practices, okay, uh, so you don't end up burning out like I did a few years ago. Maybe you feel burned out right now. Maybe emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, you just feel like you got nothing in the tank. Uh, the second half of this psalm shows us some helpful practices for discerning the gifts that God's given us. Okay, verse five. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I have hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Now this is gonna sound kind of weird, but the first practice that the psalmist shows us is to practice waiting, Practice waiting. Now, we like comfort. We like comfort, and we hate waiting. Yeah, like how many? Like how many of you guys in the last few weeks uh, have gone up or down Swannanoa River Road right here? 
to pop out on Hendersonville Road or Biltmore Avenue? Anybody? Yeah? You know, the, like, they had like the light thing with the red, you know? All right, how long did it take you, MC, to sit there before you started counting? Did, maybe you're not like me. This probably shows more about me than you. When you sit there in line, do you count and see how long it takes before the arm starts going up or down? Just me? Okay. Yep. All right. Conf- confession time. <laughs> okay, here we go. So, I mean, but like, or, or you like see the guy with the sign that says stop. All right. All right. Who has like a mild panic attack every time they see that? Anybody? Confession time? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what I do, I start, like if it's the, the automatic ones with like the red light and the arm and stuff like that, I'll start counting how long until I see other cars coming. And then I'll pull out Google Maps and I'm like, okay, if I take this shortcut, like it'll only take me three minutes, but I see it's one minute, okay? Like I'll start doing the math. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll start doing the math instead of just like waiting. Like, I could just sit there, and it's always the difference of a few seconds, you know? But, like, we, we, like we just hate, like, I hate waiting, but practicing waiting, when we confess to God, we, we recognize our limits, we admit our limits, but then waiting forces us to embrace our limits. And practicing waiting, it's an exercise of faith. It's a faith exercise. So here's what I mean by that. Um, um, how many of you guys believe the idea that if you confess your sins, they're forgiven? Yeah, okay, good. Um, now let me ask you, how many of you actually believe that? Okay, because, because let me ask you why, why I'm asking this. Um, look, at, I love the word the image that it gives here. I wait for the Lord. So he confesses with you there's forgiveness. Who should mark in it? God, I'm sorry, like hear my voice for mercy. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Um, like uh, the problem with daylight savings is that I, I, like, I kind of like to get up early and like watch the sunrise. And now like typically it's in a quiet house, but now my kids are gonna be awake before the sun comes up for the next few month or so, and so it changes my coffee time, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, but the, the, the last week I tried to kind of practice what this talks about, like, like more than watchmen for the morning, and so I got up um, early and like didn't turn on any lights, and like we have some big windows in our living room, and I opened the curtains, and, and I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm not going to turn any lights on. I'm going to wait and like see what I can do before the light, before the like sun comes up. And like I couldn't read, you know? Like, like, because if I do screen time before, like, 8 o'clock, my brain's just, like, like, I can't focus on anything the rest of the day. So, like, this is just me personally, one of my limits. Um, so, like, I couldn't read anything. I couldn't write anything. Could barely make a cup of coffee. You know, like, I tried to make some toast and that, like, it was dark. It's totally dark. Like, I just had to wait. I just had to wait for the sunlight. See, when, when we overcome our limit that we can't save ourselves, that we need forgiveness, we just pray and we believe that it's taken care of and that's a hard practice to do. Confession is a faith exercise. First John says this, that if anyone confesses their sin, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive them of all their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Now the reason why I asked, do you believe that? And then I said, do you actually believe it? Um, like, do you ever like, know that you've sinned? Maybe, maybe you, know, you lost your temper or whatever it is, I don't know. But, but you feel guilty about your sin. 
and you pray and you, you ask God to forgive you of that sin, how long does it take you to feel forgiven? Or do you feel like you have to be at a certain emotional state before God will forgive you? Like I, like I remember growing up and I, and I heard uh, somebody say, like, no tears, no repentance. Like, give me a break. Are you, like, that's works-based righteousness. Like, what the Bible said is either true or it's not. Like, when John said he's faithful and just to forgive you, does it give a caveat and say, unless you don't actually feel it? Like, no, it's a faith exercise. Confessing our sin is a faith exercise. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a righteousness exercise. It's not an emotions exercise. It's not a feelings exercise. It's not a thinking exercise. It's confession is a faith exercise. Like, it, like I don't know, it's just not the gospel. I get so frustrated because for years, that would have saved me so much trouble if someone when I was in middle school would have told me, hey, you just have to believe Jesus to be forgiven of your sins. And you just confess it. That's all you have to do. Instead of, Anyways, I'm not, I was about to start actually preaching, but here we go. Let's keep going. So I practice faith. Verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Okay, so we're talking about limits, we're talking about confession, we're talking about following Jesus, obeying God. These verses, these last few verses, this is our, this is our second practice, and we're going to conclude here. Um, these verses are just loaded with the testimony of everything God's done for Israel. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little Bible nerdy here for a minute. Are we there? Are we awake enough? Because now it's like almost 10 o'clock body clockwise. So now we're all finally waking up a little bit, yeah? Okay, worship's going to be great in a few minutes. Okay, so here's, here's this verse. These verses, these last two verses, are, I mean, they're just loaded with just little hyperlinks. You know, like if you go to a web page and there's those little links you click on, it takes you to another web page. The Bible, this, these verses are just packed with these. Taking us back and helping us remember the like blueprint and the, and the plan for redemption in the Bible. The Exodus. I mean, it's just loaded. All right, just a quick summary. All right, for uh, Bible nerd time. Um, the beginning of Exodus it says that the cries of the Israelites went up to God. So it's a word picture of them being in the depths. God heard their groaning. All right? What's the psalmist asking to do at the beginning of the psalm? Let your ears be attentive. Then it says that he remembered them. And, or he made that God, when he heard their cries in Exodus, he made himself known to them. That's another way you could translate that. Man, what more could you be waiting for? The sunrise and the, the revealing of God. God showing himself. What would they be expecting to see other than God and his salvation? Now we know how the exodus, the actual exit of Egypt ends, right? Like the Israelites go out, God saves them. It's miraculous, it's, it's powerful. He redeems Israel. He shows himself to Moses in Exodus 33. And how does he describe himself? He describes himself as the Lord, the Lord, full of steadfast love, forgiveness of sins for all those who love him. What's it say right there? Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there's steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. I mean, this just looking straight back. Guys, the Bible, man, it's so good. I love it. The Holy Spirit, like, the Holy Spirit totally, 
like got a hold of the psalmist after he was thinking about the Exodus. You know, they're going to celebrate Passover. The Psalms of Ascent, they're, they're singing the song. They're going up to Passover. They're remembering the Exodus. Anyways, I think I'm the only one nerding out on that. But um, this is where the psalmist, what he's telling us to do, the second practice. So we, we practice waiting. We, pra- we practice confession. And we practice remembering. Practice remembering. So this is for us, a little take home. We practice remembering. Call it, you know, theology. Call it doctrine. Call it, you know, whatever, preaching the gospel to yourself. Whatever you want to call it. But re- reminding ourselves of the good news of Jesus it is the fuel for our journey with Jesus. It is. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says, hey, remember the good news that I gave to you and fan into flame that gift which was given to you, which was the gospel. He's telling him to remember, don't let anything take it away. And so as we close today, I want us to think about the idea of redemption. We're going to talk about some of these practices and give some practical takeaways. Uh, the redemption that the Israel experienced, look what it said, it said, he will from all their iniquities. Actually, like the NIV says it better. He says, and with God is full redemption. Now, full redemption for, uh, for me, like if you're anything like me growing up in church, the idea of like redemption or the exodus and stuff, it was like only spiritualized. Like, like it only had to do with the spiritual life. But, but uh, especially like an ancient, an ancient Israelite, uh, even an Israelite now, they understand redemption as, as having covering many aspects, not just spiritual. Uh, they would have seen it as understanding the aspect um, economically, politically, socially, and spiritually. Yeah? I mean, for the Israelites, they were, they were in Egypt. They were forced to, to be under a foreign god and king, right? Pharaoh. So politically, economically, they were slaves. You know, they were forced into an economic position that they didn't want to be in or had no say in. Uh, socially, I mean, obviously, being a slave, it forced you to only have certain rights in society. And so for God to set them free and give them a new social order to live under in the Ten Commandments and the law, something totally new for them. And then spiritually, obviously, there was a spiritual dimension. I mean, in, in, in Egypt, they thought God, Pharaoh was a god, and there was multi, multi-god, and then, you know, um, what's that called? Um, polytheism. And then they were brought into this, this monotheism with God where he says, no, I am the Lord your God is one. I am the only true God. So it was holistic. When it says full redemption, when the Bible talks about redemption, it's not just one of those aspects. It's all four. And so as we're closing today and we're thinking about confession, we're thinking about limits, we're looking at these chairs on stage which represent people that we've been praying for to come back to God or to come to God, their true home. I just want to ask, like, what are you asking God to do? And what limit are you con- do you need to embrace and recognize and learn to live within Uh, because I think some of us we think there are pockets of our lives that God doesn't touch or that he doesn't care about or he doesn't want to touch and that's just could not be less with him there's full redemption I mean there's total complete all aspects of our lives there's complete redemption or maybe as you're praying to God and you're asking God for things as soon as you ask God to do something you're already scheming of how you're going to meet that need yourself. Which is not to say you're not working hard or being responsible, but what's your faith in, is what I'm asking, when you're confessing these things to God. So we practice waiting, we practice remembering. So I want to, I want to give kind of a, a tangible takeaway, and we're going to do this as a church. We're going to, there's a prayer um, of confession um, that comes up. I use this prayer app called the Daily Prayer app. It's based off the Book of Common Prayer 
updates through the day. It's super helpful. But it's got this, this prayer of confession um, that for me has just become a really easy template, really helpful template for me uh, praying confession. And so we'll do that. And then uh, right before we do that, I just want a, a way of remembering. I mean, you know, it says in, in, um, in his word, I hope. In God's word, I hope. And let me just, I think I've mentioned this before, but let me just kind of challenge you. Uh, any, any of these limits you're having trouble with or anything you need, confession, whatever it is, um, and find some scripture that combats that and keep it where you see it all the time. Like I'm in my car multiple times a day. I'll sticky note stuff and put it on my dashboard, not on my speedometer, but like on somewhere else. Um, or, or like the background of my phone, like I'll screenshot something, keep it in the background of my phone. I'm looking at my phone all day long. Uh, keep God's word in front of you where you're reading, you're combating those lies, you're, you're helping embrace the gifts of the limit that God's given us. But then the psalm of confession, or the prayer of confession, I want to close with this. Um, and so what we'll do is let's stand up. Let's stand up. Let's, we're, it's going to come on the screen. There we go. Can you guys see that? All right. We're going to try to read it out loud, okay, together. All right. So we'll see how this goes. And then I'll pray for us, and then we'll keep worshiping. All right. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart, and I've not loved my neighbor as myself. I'm truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for how you love us. God, thank you that, that you have made it possible. You've given us a way, Father, that even though we're limited, God, we can't save ourselves, that you sent your son to save us, that he died on the cross, and that he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death forever. God, thank you that You've given us your word, God. You've given us your testimony that you've proven yourself true over and over again so that as we remember all that you've done, God, we can wait on you in faith knowing that you're true, knowing that you're good. God, not having to doubt and wonder if you're gonna come through, but God, knowing that you offer redemption that covers every area of our life. And so, Father, this week as we come to you today here at church and we meet with you throughout our day through this week, God, and then we go out into our world, whether it's at work, at home, at school, uh, whatever it is, Father. Uh, Lord, help us to see the limits that you've given us as a gift, and God, as we live in those, as we embrace those, and we confess when we've tried to break those limits, God, that you meet us there in those places and that we begin to see your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.